Let's open up with prayer. Lord Jesus, please grant us the grace to be focused Christians who will faithfully serve you throughout every day of our lives. Help us to wait, to watch, and to pray for your will to be done in each one of our lives. May we all be diligent in keeping your commands in our love for you, which comes from your love for us. May we not be lazy or busybody Christians. And it's in your precious name that we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, as always, let me say that it is an absolute blessing and a pleasure for me to be up here in front of you today. Uh, it's something that I take very seriously. Um, for those uh, that may not know me, my name is John Waters. I'm lead pastor here at Elevating Life Church. That's just a fancy way of saying I'm associate pastor. So, uh, but I like lead pastor. That sounds good, right? Yeah. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Drake for asking me to speak to you today on a topic that I will say is a very passionate one for me. So just understand that. We may get a little passionate today. I hope that's okay. Yeah, my, if I see you sleeping, look out. Anyway, <laughs> my prayer is that by the end of our time here, uh, that you'll be challenged to take an honest look at your individual walk with Christ and make adjustments where needed to live in the fullness of the goodness of God, His kingdom. So our core verse today comes from a passage in the Gospel of John in chapter 14. I'm going to read the, uh, uh, an entire passage uh, not just the core verse, because I think it's very important that we have a clear focus of what our Lord and Savior is saying to us. So if you have your Bible, uh, whether it's in book form or digital form, uh, go to John chapter 14. Uh, if you don't have one, it's going to be on the screen behind me here, so we're not disincluding you. Is that a word, disincluding? It is now, whether it was or not. So please turn to John chapter 14. Before we get into the passage, I want to set the scene just a little bit. At this point in his life, Jesus is literally hours away from going to the cross. He's meeting with his closest group of friends, we call them the apostles, in the upper room. You know the story, and we'll talk about it some more coming up later when we do communion. He's not only fellowshipping with them, as I say all the time when we do communion, I don't think this was a somber time. I think Jesus made it a fun time for them. He knew what was coming. They didn't. And so I think this was a time of joy and laughter, a time of sharing stories and memories over the last three and a half years that they had spent together. But in and amidst all of that, Jesus was also teaching them many, many things that they would need to know 
once he had gone to the cross. He wanted to pour into them as much insight into living a godly, fulfilled life as he possibly could in these last hours. So it's with this backdrop of the upper room that we look at today's passage. So please keep in mind that this is Jesus speaking throughout what I'm about to read. The red words in your Bible. John chapter 14, we're beginning at verse 15. Verse 15. I'm reading from the NIV for no other reason than that's the most common one that people have. Uh, So that's what I'm reading from this morning. Verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. We can mic drop right there and just be done, couldn't we? That is our core verse, by the way. If you love me, keep my commands. Let's go on, verse 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, the spirit of truth, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you'll see me, because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Verse 21, he says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. That kind of sounds like verse 15, didn't it? Kind of sounded the same. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Verse 22, Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, not the one who betrayed him, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Verse 23, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I think we've heard that a couple times already. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Verse 24, Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Okay. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. We're not done yet. Verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Verse 28. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. Verse 31. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded 
me. Let's bring that back to verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, I think we can all agree that if Jesus says something, we should pay attention, right? It's in the red words, we should probably pay attention to it. If he says it more than once, we need to be pretty diligent in paying attention and putting into practice what he said. And that's the case in this passage that we just read. In the course of 16 verses, he says it five different times in different ways. If you love me, keep my commands. So let's look at that core verse again. I want, you, I want this burned into your mind. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. I want to put a little stress here real quick. If you love me, keep my commands. You see, this is written to each one of you, individually. Debbie, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Scott, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Bill, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Kathy, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. This is personal. He's speaking directly to you and to me. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. Now, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? It's simple and plain, don't you think? There's not a lot of wiggle room there. <laughs> well, what did he mean by that? I think he meant if you love him, keep his commands. That's what I think he meant. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Now, to be clear, Jesus is not looking for validation here. He's not saying keep my commands because I need to feel good about myself. He's... He isn't saying that he needs you and me to approve of him and build his self-esteem. I think he's doing just fine in that department because he is God after all. I think he's just fine there. So if it's not for his sake, whose sake is it for? It's for ours. Oh. So you mean if I love him and keep his commands, it's because it's good for me? Yeah, that's exactly what we're saying. He's not saying it for his benefit. He's saying it for ours. He's giving us a roadmap to goodness. He's giving us the roadmap to the goodness that comes only from God. In fact, he goes on to tell us in the next few verses that we read the result of keeping his commands. And it's important enough that he reiterates it again and again, and again. Then in verse 31, Jesus says that he's telling us to do exactly the same thing he's doing, because if you remember in verse 31, he says, I love the Father and I'm keeping his commands. I think it's pretty important that we listen and respond to that, don't you? Not just listen. Respond. Do it. We must be diligent. Catch that word, because you're going to hear it a lot this morning. We must be diligent in following through with what Jesus has said so plainly to us. But unfortunately, 
many, many Christians are, let's say, less than diligent. Most fall into one of two other categories of Christian that I unfortunately have to talk about. It's a tale of three Christians. If you've ever been in my office here at ELC, one of the very first things that you'll likely notice that there's a lot of slots in there. A plethora of slots. Stuffed toys, mugs, calendars, many other items that all have something to do with slots. The first thing that most people say when they first walk into my office is something like, you must really like slots. <laughs> well, yeah, I do. I do. And I happen to mention that a time or two, and all of a sudden, sloth-related items began showing up out of nowhere in my office. For a while there, every time I walked into my office, there was more stuff. I'm like, where did that come from? I've never purchased or acquired any sloth-related item on my own in my entire life, yet I have hundreds of them. I've even given a bunch away, and they keep coming back. Uh, you think rabbits multiply? Slots are crazy. You know, and they it's because of generous folks like you, and I appreciate that so much. It shows your love. It shows your, your thinking of me, and I appreciate that so much. All because I happen to mention that I like slots. By the way, have I mentioned that I really, really like $100 bills? <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there, just in case. Okay, all right. Well, let's think about the primary characteristic of a sloth. What's the first thing you think of when you think of sloths? They're slow. Yeah, <laughs> that's the obvious thing, that they're slow moving. In fact, sometimes it can seem like they're not doing anything at all. Okay? And that's a pretty good representation of the first of the three Christians that I want to highlight this morning. The slothful Christian, or let's call them the loafer. The loafer. Let's explore the meaning of slothful as it relates to Scripture. Now, be careful. I'm going to throw a little high school physics at you here. So if you remember from way back then, when you were in high school, you probably learned that Newton's first law of motion states that an object that is in motion tends to stay in motion, and an object that is at rest tends to stay at rest. That same thing is true for human beings. Okay? While some are naturally driven to complete projects, others are more, let's say, apathetic or uh, they require some kind of outside motivation to overcome their lack of movement. Maybe it's a paycheck. Maybe it's a threat from someone. Whatever, it's outside of themselves. They don't have the internal motivation, so it takes some kind of outer motivation in order to get them to move. Okay? Laziness or uh, a lifestyle, which is a lifestyle for some, 
is a temptation for all of us. In fact, it's one of the tools that the devil uses to keep us from being the salt and light that Jesus calls us to be. And it can lead to procrastination, which I'll talk about later. Did it procrastination? I put here in my notes, wait for laugh. I'm still waiting. The Bible is clear that though, because the Lord ordained work for man, laziness is sin. Hold on a second. Got to teach you who's boss. Let's look at Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. Solomon says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Sluggard, by the way, is another term for lazy or slothful. Okay? Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be what? Wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. In other words, it doesn't need outside motivation. Okay? It doesn't have somebody threatening it to get something done. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. In other words, when the time is right, not in its own timing. Verse 9, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Yeah, I'll do that later. I'm going to take a nap first. Well, you know, my favorite show's on TV. The Broncos are playing. The Bible has a great deal to say about laziness. Proverbs especially is filled with wisdom concerning laziness and warnings to the slothful person. Proverbs tells us that a loafer hates work. That he loves sleep and he gives a lot of excuses. Well, I can't do it because um, my car is only half full of gas. I know it's only three blocks. He wastes time and energy. He believes that he's wise, but is actually a fool. Proverbs also tells us the end that is in store for the loafer says that he'll become a slave or a debtor to others with a bleak future that will likely end in poverty. Now, that doesn't sound like much fun. I don't know. Maybe it does to you. Maybe you're really uh, craving living under a bridge. I don't know. It's up to you. I really don't like that scenario at all. That's the slothful, lazy Christian. Remember now, I'm talking about Christians. I'm not talking about people who don't know Jesus Christ. I'm preaching to the choir here. Okay? How many uh, lazy, slothful Christians are there out there? They're the ones who say, yeah, somebody really ought to do something about that. There's somebody. How about you? I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to. We have been begging and begging and begging for volunteers for the nursery. For 
years. And the thing that we hear over and over is, well, yeah, but it's really not my calling. Can I shed a little light on something for you? Yes, it is. Because your calling is to love God and to love others. To serve God and to serve others. So yes, it is your calling, and it's my calling, and it's Doc's calling, and it's Marilyn's calling, and it's everybody's calling. You may not like it. That's a whole different thing. Okay, I understand that. Can you take 45 minutes out of one day once a year or once a month to do something you don't necessarily like but that will help other people? Because I think that's what we're called. I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't like going to the cross either. In fact, he prayed about it. He said, God, if there's any other way, any other way at all, please. But it's not about what I want. It's about what you want and what serves other people. What was it Jesus said about serving? He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to what? Serve. Serve who? Everybody. I'm going to use a little, uh, let me use Drake as an example. Drake, before he became senior pastor here, he was at a church in Wyoming when they lived in Cheyenne. And that church needed someone to take care of the nursery, to be the director of the nursery and spend time with her. Drake was a pastor on staff at that church. And he said, you know what? I'll do it. For five years, Drake served the nursery every single Sunday. Not once a month, not once a year, every single Sunday. A few weeks ago, please don't take this as pride on my part, not at all, it's just an object lesson. We were going through this very same discussion. Heather's back there going, yep, we were. And with our team beforehand for the service. And I said, and I meant it, if someone else will take the music, I'll go in the nursery. Absolutely I will. Because it's not about what I want to do, it's about serving. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. What's one of his commands? Serve others. Oh, it's starting to kind of come around, isn't it? Starting to make sense a little bit. I'm going to get off that soapbox. I think I made my So we have the slothful, lazy Christian, the loafer, the one whose favorite saying is, somebody needs to do something about that. Okay, how about you? Let's look at the second type of Christian. The busybody, or what I want to call the troublemaker. Troublemaker. A busybody is a person who meddles in the affairs of others. Sometimes this meddling is under the guise of helping. Please notice that I quotation marks around. But usually the help is unwelcome and uninvited. You hear the indignation all the time. Well, I was just trying to help. Yeah, but was it your place? That's the question. 
busybodies are often people who apparently just don't have enough drama in their own lives, so they have to live off the drama in other people's lives too. They gain, I guess, some sort of sick satisfaction by becoming involved in other people's problems. Gossip, which I talked about last time I preached, is starting to be a theme here. I told Heather this morning, today's message is like part two of the message I preached last month. Gossip is usually a staple of every busybody, but it's often camouflaged as, um, I have a prayer request for a friend of mine. And I'm going to tell you all about all the juicy details, because I want you to pray for me. Or it can be under the pretense of asking for advice for a friend. Oh, I have this friend who, whatever. Um, anybody have any good advice for them? Well, the Bible has very strong words for these Christians as well. These troublemakers, these, these uh, busybodies. 1 Peter 4.15. 1 Peter 4.15. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or another version says evildoer, even as a meddler. What? I mean, Peter puts gossip and slander and meddling in other people's lives with murdering and, and theft? Yeah. Why? Well, because, think about it, when we meddle in other people's lives, don't we tend to kind of murder their reputation? Yeah. Don't we tend to steal their sense, their sense of self-worth and and that I'm okay? Yeah. We tend to, to take away their, their sense of well-being and goodness through our judgment of them. Busy buddies within the church will camouflage their nosy meddling as compassionate concern. The difference, though, between meddling and concern is whether or not the intrusion is beneficial and productive in the lives of other people. First question I want you to always ask yourself is, do I have permission to share this? If not, shut your mouth. Not your place. Now I'll say, most people have difficulty recognizing themselves as troublemakers or busybodies. Yeah, that's not me. Well, I'm going to give you a few questions today that I think can aid in determining whether or not attempts to help are in fact meddling. A potential busybody should ask him or herself the following questions and be completely honest in the answers. Okay? I need a drink for this one. First of all, the question you should ask, is this really any of my business? The answer is no. Shut your mouth. Number two, has God given me this assignment to help this person? Number three, am I even qualified to involve myself in this? Number four, is my true motivation to bring help or do I just kind of want to feel needed? You see, it's kind of all about me, right? Number five, 
How much of my discussion about the situation could be classified as gossip or slander? Number six, what was the result the last time I intruded in a situation that was not my problem? How much damage did I cause? Number seven, has my opinion been sought out by those involved, or am I injecting myself into something that I have no business being a part of? Number eight, am I motivated by love for this person or by a sense of my own importance? Number nine, am I basing my help on Scripture or on my own opinion? One more. Number ten, I should have done this as a David Letterman top ten list. Number ten, do I respond with anger when my advice is not accepted or found to be flawed? What do all ten of those have in common? They're all about me and what I get out of it. They're not about the person that I'm helping. See the difference? I hope so. The answers to these questions can help us determine whether our involvement in the affairs of others is, in fact, meddling. If we recognize that our real motivation is the enjoyment of being in the center of other people's issues, it's time to let God deal with that insecurity in your own life. Yes, it's insecurity. Most of the time, troublemakers don't think of themselves as insecure. But if we find ourselves embroiled in the secrets of others, it might be really wise to see a trusted friend, counselor, pastor, and get to the bottom of it. An objective person can help clarify our motivations and keep us from becoming a busybody, a meddler, a troublemaker. So my challenge to you today, I'm going to throw this out here right now, is instead of being a loafer or a troublemaker, let's be the third Christian. And that's the one I'm going to call a true disciple of Jesus Christ, who is diligent in keeping the commands of Christ. Put your time, your focus, and your energy into doing what Jesus did by following the great commandment and loving God and others. Be diligent in loving God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love others as you love yourself. We know it, don't we? We know the commandment. Knowing it and doing it are two different things. Be a true disciple of Jesus by keeping his commands. A great place to start is by learning and applying the 49 commands of Christ found in the Gospels that we teach here at Elevating Life Church. It's the model we use. Okay? Not the only one, but it's the one we use. It's a great place to start. Be diligent in serving others with the love of Christ. Be diligent in meeting people where they are, not where you think they should be. Be diligent in helping others to become more of who God intends them to be. 
who he designed them to be. Be diligent in not judging others because you don't have the whole picture, nor do you have the right to judge. In fact, Jesus said, what? Do not judge. Be a true disciple of Jesus by keeping his commands. Being a follower of Christ is to be pursued with diligence. The reason I say that is because most Christians today, especially in the Western world, here in the United States in particular, tend to be very lackadaisical in their faith. That's a big word. I saw that look by them. Okay? It's, it's okay to follow Christ when it's convenient. Uh, I'll follow Christ when I need something. I'm going to throw a little truth out here. Uh, maybe you guys don't know this, and I'm going to assume you don't. God is not a genie in a bottle that pops out every time you rub it with a wish. God did not come here to serve us. He does, but that was not his purpose. He came to serve. He came to serve the king. Not our whims and our, our man, I'd really like to have a new car. Or, God, if you really loved me, you'd help me get out of this mess that I keep putting myself into day after day. God's going, why don't you just stop doing that? Pretty simple, really. Jesus made it clear that those who wish to be his disciples must be all in. Unless we diligently pursue righteousness and obedience, we'll experience failure. The world is too appealing. Temptation is too abundant. There are too many excuses for turning away. And those are all tools that the devil uses to separate us from the goodness of God. That's why Jesus emphasized that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others. You see, life's ultimate goal is to diligently love the Lord. All actions flow from the posture of our hearts. When we make diligence the common ingredient in everything we do, and we choose to do godly things, we set a standard for ourselves that will propel us toward goodness and a life of excellence. And I think that's what we want, right? I hope so. So with all that being said, and I'm going to wrap it up here. So music team. Oh, that's me. With all that being said, the question that I want to leave you with, you probably already figured it out. Are you a loafer? Are you a troublemaker? Or are you a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Now, please understand, it's really easy in our minds to answer that question. But we can also fool ourselves. The real answer, the real true answer to that question will be known by the fruit that is produced in 
your life. You may be able to fool yourself, but you're not necessarily able to fool others, and you definitely can't fool God. What is the fruit being produced in your life? Let's end with our four verses. John 14, 15. I hope this is burned into your mind, into your heart. Jesus is speaking. He says, If you love me, you, you say you love me. If you do, for your benefit, Lord God, keep my command.